You're listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. This is a chronological Bible study going chapter by chapter, discovering Christ in all of Scripture. This is Job chapter 13. Verses 1 through 19, Job continues his defense. Job complains against his ineffective counselors. He is angry with them. He says he has also seen and heard all the things they claim, and he is not inferior to them. But instead of trying to defend himself before them, he would like to reason with God, because he is truth itself, while they are forgers of lies and worthless physicians. Not only had they given him a wrong diagnosis, but they have done nothing to ease his pain. He wishes they would just be silent and it would be true wisdom. The idea is repeated in Proverbs 17:28. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. It's better to be silent or admit ignorance than to speak out of turn. He asks them if they really think they are wise enough to argue on God's behalf. They haven't found evidence of some heinous sin in Job's life, and yet they think they're speaking for God when they accuse Job of evil. It is dangerous to say, thus says the Lord, when he has not spoken through them. Scripture cautions against this. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name, anything I have not commanded, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, is to be put to death. Then the Lord said to me, The prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I have not sent them or appointed them or spoken to them. They are prophesying to you false visions, divinations, idolatries, and the delusions of their own minds. He calls their speech wicked, deceitful, and showing partiality. They are saying things about Job that are both untrue and unfair. Then he turns the tables, since they feel God is judging Job. He asks, Would it turn out well if he examined you? Could you deceive him as you might deceive a mortal? He would surely call you to account if you secretly showed partiality. Would not his splendor terrify you? Would not the dread of him fall on you? Gulp! In fact, God will search them out and reveal their counsel to be wrong compared to Job. He asked if they could mock God. We hear such mockery all the time, but it will not last. Galatians 6-7 says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Then he says what he really thinks of their pious speeches. Your maxims are proverbs of ashes. Your defenses are defenses of clay. It's danger, dangerous to approach something so serious as Job's predicament and throw around trite, pithy statements which trivialize very real suffering. An example is when a woman has lost her baby to miscarriage and someone comes along and says, you can always have another one. That may or may not be true, but at the moment the issue is the loss of this child and her grief over it. Job calls their counsel worthless and ineffective, like ashes or clay. He again wishes they would just hold their peace so he could speak. Then let come on me what may, he says. He knows God may finish him off for his words, but what does it matter? He asks what difference it makes if he should try to preserve his life when God will do as he will anyway. Then we see his true heart of faith in God, regardless of what God does to him. He says, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. This is one of his strong statements of faith. At times his faith wavered, 
but here we see he was willing to die, still trusting God. For Job to say this showed he saw beyond this present life. Paul says, If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are, of all people, most to be pitied. This idea of trust in the midst of danger is spoken by David in Psalm 23, 4. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Trials test the quality of a believer's faith. Saving faith requires perseverance when life seems dark and God's ways don't make sense to us. Peter tells us that trials confirm the genuineness of our faith, not just to others, but to ourselves. In, this, in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come on so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So Job understood this idea of refining through fire. He said, But he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. So these days we refine oil, sugar, flour, and other products to make them usable. In Job's day, the process was used only for precious metals like gold or silver. First, the hardened rock is broken up. The metal is placed in a crucible, a vessel that can stand intense heat. As the refiner increases the heat, impurities or dross rise to the surface and are skimmed off. The process continues, often up to seven times, until he can see his reflection in the pure metal. And this is how he gauges its process. He sits over it. So the process of refining is a metaphor often used in scripture to describe trials, which purge us of our sins and make us useful and reflect our God. Job knew this trial was not meant to destroy him, but to test him. How do we hang on as the heat is turned up as it was for Job? We trust in the character and plan of the one who is doing the refining. He does it for his glory. It has a purpose. He is personally overseeing the process. And the danger in a trial is to go to extremes of self-righteousness or self-sufficiency. Instead, we ought to be like Paul, who said, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in, it, in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And this applies to suffering as well. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. And that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And that's another one of those paradoxes of Scripture, which is a seemingly contradictory statement on the surface, but is true and deep. He again asserts that God will save him because he is not a hypocrite, despite what his friends claim. Indeed, this will turn out for my deliverance, for no godless person would dare come before him. 
Then he uses the language of a courtroom to show he trusts that he will be vindicated in the end. Listen carefully to what I say. Let my words ring in your ears. Now that I have prepared my case, I know I will be vindicated. Can anyone bring charges against me? If so, I will be silent and die. Verses 20 to 28, Job's Desperate Prayer Job now turns to God to reason with him in prayer. Job's friends had used the sovereignty of God to argue that God would search out sin and punish it. Job now uses the same knowledge about God to dare to approach him, expecting he'd get a fair hearing. He wants his day in the Supreme Court of the Universe. His conscience really is clear, and he wants to prove it. He asks for two things, for God to end his pain and stop frightening him, and then speak to him, or respond to Job's speech. You hear his desire for a relationship with God like he had before. Withdraw your hand far from me and stop frightening me with your terrors. Then summon me and I will answer, or let me speak and you reply to me. God will do just that, except he will speak to him even while he is still suffering and with no guarantee that it will stop. Job asked, Why do you hide your face? He found God's silence most distressing of all. Just like the psalmist, whom Jesus quotes on the cross, says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out to you, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. And Jesus, about three in the afternoon, cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Matthew Henry says, There is little exercise for faith when all things go well. But if God raises a storm, permits the enemy to send wave after wave, and seemingly stands aloof from our prayers, then still to hang on and trust God when we cannot trace him, this is the patience of the saints. Pastor Jacques Nadeau says, A faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. Having dismissed his friends as worthless physicians who had given him a wrong diagnosis, Job shows his willingness to hear God's diagnosis. The great physician never turns anyone away. He never misdiagnoses. He always cures fully and completely. Contrary to the accusations of his friends, Job is willing to be examined and judged. Job asks, How many wrongs and sins have I committed? Show me my offense and my sin. We must be willing to see ourselves as God does, so we can repent of our sins and guard against repeating them. Job asks why God regards him as his enemy. Yet he is our friend, even when it feels otherwise. Job asks why he would bother with someone as insignificant as he. Will you torment a wind-blown leaf? Will you chase after dry chaff? God invites our honest, sincere, and even confused prayers. Then he goes back to courtroom language, this time when he's addressing God. He complains about the sentence against him, meted out as punishment in the extreme suffering, as if for a heinous crime. He wonders if he's being punished for some sins committed when he was young. For you write down bitter things against me and make me reap the sins of my youth. And that's why Solomon counsels, remember your creator in the days of your youth, 
before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. This way, we won't have regrets or pangs of conscience that come back to haunt us when we're older. He complains that God has put his feet in stocks and watches all his paths closely. In another circumstance, it would be a comfort to have God watching him. But Job feels he's on a tight leash and God is punishing him too rigorously. Yet as Zophar rightly said, know this, God has even forgotten some of your sin. He feels the general plight of man is pretty grim, describing his decay as a rotten thing and a moth-eaten garment. Scarlet threads. So what scarlet threads or hints of Jesus Christ or an application to the gospel do we find in this chapter? Job challenged his accusers that if they were the ones being examined by God, it would not go well, and they should show more humility and fear of God. We need to realize we cannot mock God with impunity, nor presume to speak for him. Job demonstrated faith in God that would outlive his life. We need this kind of faith as well. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who said, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Job felt abandoned by God. Jesus really was abandoned by God on the cross. Job was willing to hear God's judgment against him, knowing he'd be vindicated. We need to agree with what God says about us, knowing that, although we are guilty sinners, we are forgiven and will one day be vindicated before a watching world. You've been listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and comment. Continue listening for Job chapter 14. May God bless the study of his word.